the Lord. I got, I got this. Bless the Lord this morning. How's everybody doing? Let's give it up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I like hand claps, but I like hand claps for him more. You know what I'm saying? I'm nothing without him. Amen. Amen. We were just talking about the Mortaranas. I think we're going to have to tear this building down and build a new one just to, hold, just to hold you guys in it. Bless the Lord. I love seeing the family growing. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yes, that's right. All right, so um, let's just open in a word of prayer and uh, let's get into the word. Father, we, uh, we come to you, Lord, for such a time as this. And Lord, um, it's a unique time in history. And Lord, we're not to grow fearful or weary or be overwhelmed. The spirit of the Lord is upon us and in us. And those who know their God will do great exploits. So, Lord, I pray that today, by the instruction of the, the Word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would settle our hearts and you begin to establish your kingdom through us. In Jesus' name, amen. The, uh, the title of my sermon is uh, Certainty in Uncertain Times. And we can definitely say that we're in times now where things are definitely uncertain. Um, I mean, it's even... It's gotten so complicated that we don't even know how to send our kids to school. Are they going back to school? Are they? Are they? Is it going to be a hybrid model? Are we? Are we going to do, um, you know, internet learning? Uh, how? How we? How are our kids going to school? It seems like we can't even make plans for the future because we don't know much about it. it. Used to be like we could say, "Oh, we're going to go. We're going to do this, or we're going to plan this," and we seem certain about it because it seemed like. Things were normal. And you can, you can cast your, your vision or you can cast things and say, yeah, you know, we're going to make plans. And now it seems like you can't make plans because times are too uncertain. Some of us don't know if we're going to have a job within the next few weeks or the next few months. And so we're standing here in a time of uncertainty and how do we operate in this time? How does the church operate? And uh, so I want to just begin to share with you from God's word what God gave me. It was kind of funny. I came here Friday. I know my wife says, what are you speaking on? I said, I don't know. And uh, so I came in here and I was heading into the prayer room and I said, Lord, I'm coming in here. I pray that when I come out, I got something for the people of God. And, and uh, God is faithful. So I want to share with you uh, Merriam-Webster's uh, definition for uncertainty is the quality of being uncertain. Now, I didn't need to look up in a dictionary to find that out. I was like, thanks, Miriam. Way to go. But then I looked at, it, at the synonyms, and I think it really puts into perspective where we're at today. And the synonyms for Uncertainty or distrust, doubt, incertitude, misdoubt, misgivings, mistrust, misdoubt field. I threw that one in. Reservation, skepticism, suspicion. 
Now, it seems like if you draw a line, that's how we sometimes treat people that don't think the way we do. And they treat us the same way. And it seems like we treat those in power the same way. We look at our future and, and there's distrust there. We, there's there's uh, doubt. There's misgivings. There's reservation. There's skepticism. There's suspicion. And that's the climate that which we find ourselves in today. See, these synonyms can and do describe the atmosphere that we find ourselves living in today. While this might be the word used to describe life in 2020, none of these words should describe how we operate, navigate through these times of uncertainty. See, doubt should not be something that we, that's a part of our lives. Because the fact is, is God has us in the palm of his hands. And his plans will prosper in our lives. We're the apple of his eye. That which concerns you concerns God. And so there shouldn't be within us uncertainty. See, we're the children of God. That's for certain. And it says in Scripture, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That's for certain. We are the church of God. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's for certain. We're the people of God. We're the church of God. That can't change. So that's for certain. We are believers in God and in his word. John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69 says this. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. How true is that even today? When the times got tough, when the pressure got going, when political influence entered the church, people left the, left the foundation of this gospel and began to preach a social gospel, which is not a gospel at all. There is no secondary gospel. This is it and nothing else. And if you can't, if you can't take the flack that comes from standing on this word, then you had no business standing behind a pulpit in the first place. Because if Jesus took flack for, for what he stood for and what he spoke, he, just, he, he expects his disciples to stand and take the same flack. For he said it even in his words. They, they, those, they'll hate you because you know me. You got, we got to stand strong. And people watered down this word and even threw it out. Because they were unwilling to offend and unwilling to take flack. So Jesus says here, you know, um, 
Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away also? Do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So we are believers in God and in God's word. You didn't get up this morning just to join a club or something like that. You came here to be ministered, to, be, to, to receive God's word, and to go out in that. So we are believers in God and in his word. That's for certain. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 2, he asked a very poignant question. He said, why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? That's a good question. I mean, look at it today. You wonder, why are the nations in an uproar? Why are those in political power or those in power allowing things to proceed as the way they are? The same question asked by the psalmist we can ask today. Why are the nations in an uproar? Why are things going on the same way? Why are the things going on the way we've never seen before? Immediately, there was an answer. And it says here, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords from us. What is the result? Basically, what it's saying is let's break ourselves away from what holds us to sound doctrine, common sense, and reasonable discourse. Basically, what they're saying is we need to cut ourselves away from truth. We need to cut ourselves away from the foundations of the Ten Commandments. We need to break the chains that bind us to this truth, that bind us to these principles. We need to break the chains and cut the cords and go our own way. And now we say, why are the nations in an uproar? Why do kings plot together? Why do rulers take their stand and say things that we look at and we scratch our head and say, that doesn't make sense? How can you stand on the side of lawlessness? How can you watch cities burn and not condemn it? There's an obituary to common sense. And it said, today we mourn the passing of an old friend by the name of common sense. Common sense lived a long life, but died in the United States from heart failure on the brink of the new millennium. No one really knows how old he was since his birth records were not long ago, well, were long ago lost in bureaucratic red tape. He selflessly devoted his life to service in schools, hospitals, homes, factories, and helping people get jobs done without fanfare and foolishness. For decades, petty rules, silly laws, and frivolous lawsuits held no power over common sense. He was credited with cultivating such valued lessons as to know when to come in out of the rain, why the early bird gets the worm. Amen. I'm with you on that one. Why the, er why the uh, early bird gets the worm and life isn't always fair. Common sense lived by simple, sound financial policies. Don't spend more than you earn. Reliable, time-tested parenting strategies. The parents are in charge, not the kids. and it's okay to come in second. A veteran of the Industrial Revolution, the Great Depression, 
and the technological revolution, common sense survived cultural and educational trends, including body piercing, whole language, and new math. But his health declined when he became infected with the, if it helps only one person, it's worth it virus. In recent decades, his waning strength proved no match for the ravages of well-intentioned but overbearing regulations. He watched in pain as good people became ruled by self-seeking lawyers. His health rapidly deteriorated when schools endlessly implemented zero-tolerance policies. Reports of a six-year-old boy charged with sexual harassment for kissing a classmate. A teen suspended for taking a swig of mouthwash after lunch. And a teacher fired for reprimanding an unruly student only worsened his condition. It declined even further when schools had to get parental consent to administer aspirin to a student but could not inform parents when a female student was pregnant or wanted an abortion. Finally, common sense lost its will to live as the Ten Commandments became contraband. Churches became businesses. Criminals received better treatment than victims. And federal judges stuck their noses into everything from the Boy Scouts to professional sports. Finally, when a woman uh, real, realized that a steaming cup of coffee was hot, was awarded a huge settlement, common sense threw in the towel. As the end neared, common sense drifted in and out of logic, but was kept informed of developments regarding the questionable regulations, such as the low-flow toilets, rocking chairs, and stepladders. Common sense was preceded in death by his parents, truth and trust, his wife discretion, his daughter responsibility, and his son reason. He is survived by two stepbrothers, my rights, and I'm a whiner. Not many attended his funeral because so few realized that he was gone. And we wonder why we've gotten where we've gotten to. We need today, as the body of Christ, to see how God operates when times are uncertain. See, it's hard to make decisions in a climate such as today. See, and I think what God is trying to, to teach us and to discipline us is that we really need not make plans outside of God. And how do we move in times of uncertainty if God is not with us? Amen? So God is refocusing us and our priorities to understand that our decisions really need to be made with God and that when we move out, we move out in God. Amen? So there are, no certain, there are no uncertain times with God. If you will, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 24, and we're going to end in chapter 7, um, verse 20. It's a little bit of a reading here, but um, it's going to kind of lay, lay the basis for where we're going to go. Wow, I can still hear pages turning. It's like finding a phone booth on a corner. Second Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 24. Now it came about after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for eight shekels of silver and a fourth 
of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help my lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king said to her, what is the matter with you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give me your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and we ate him. And I said to her on, and I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him but she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. Then he said, May God do so to me, more so if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. Now Elisha was sitting in the house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man from his presence but before the messenger came to him he said to the elders do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head look when the messenger comes shut the door and hold the door shut against him is not the sound of his master's feet behind him while he was still talking with them, behold, the messenger came down to him and he said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elijah said, to the, then Elijah said Listen to the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. The royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city... Then the famine in the city, then the famine in the city, we will die there. Now, therefore, come, let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we will live. And if they kill us, we will but die. They arose at the twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of the army, uh, of the sounds of, ho of horses, even the sound of a great army. So they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight. They left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. When the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried them from there also and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning, 
punishment will overtake us. Therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Arameans, and behold, there was no one out there, nor, nor the voice of man, only the horses tied and the donkeys tied, and the tents just as they were. The gatekeepers called and told it within the king's household. Then the king arose in the night and said to his servants, I will, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone from the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we will capture them alive and get into the city. One of his servants said, please, let some men take five of the horses which remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they will be, in any case, like all the multitude of Israel who are left in it. Behold, they will be, okay, I already did that one, uh, like of Israel, so, uh, we will already have perished. So let us send and see. They took, therefore, two chariots with the horses, and the king sent after them the army of the Arameans, saying, Go and see. They went after them to the Jordan, and behold, all the way was full of clothes and equipment, which the Arameans had thrown away in their haste. Then the messengers returned and told the king. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled on him at the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king had come down to him. It happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine, flowers, uh, fine flour for a shekel, which we sold tomorrow at the gate of Samaria. So we see what's going on here. We see that uh, an army had, had, had surrounded and had shut off Samaria. The gates were closed. Business could not operate. Food no, not could come in. Merchandise could not go out. And in a matter of time, the, the, it became dire. And so we, there was a situation where they, they didn't even, they, they, that food became so scarce that they went to drastic measures, as we've seen in, and read in the scripture. And we see that they begin to call out to leadership, and leadership is unable to help them. And so when we find ourselves in this situation, we see that God becomes, begins to come through. And so let's go and see some, let's glean from some of the things that are going on here. We have to see that God used four leprous men who were left outside the gate. Think about this. The army is besieging. All the people are inside, and four men are sitting on the wall, seeing the army in front of them and starvation behind them. And four leprous men all of a sudden strike up a conversation. And they ask each other, imagine the Jewish too, why we sit here till we die? And the other one said, well, if we go in there, we die. And the other guy said, well, if we sit here, we die. And the other guy said, well, if we go that way, maybe we die, maybe we don't. Let's go that way. And they did. What is God trying to say to us through this? What he's trying to say is, is God uses weakness to bring about change. See, you, you say, I can't, but God says, 
you can. You look and you say, but I've got this issue in my life. And what happens is, is you disqualify yourself from being used of God in your weakness. See, we think we got to have it all together for God to use us. We'll never have it all together. That's what the cross is for. The cross is the power of God displayed in Jesus Christ in weakness. Remember, he's standing there and, and Peter cuts off in the garden. Peter cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus says, don't you think that I cannot call 12 legions of angels and end this? Jesus went to the cross in weakness. He didn't go in strength. He forgo, he forgo strength. He had everything. He could have ended it, but he knew that a weak people needed a strong God to get through hard times. See, you have to understand something. When you're all out of options, God has already made a way for you. See, we try to do things our way. And all of a sudden, things don't work. And then you look and you say, we're out of options. And then we pray. And then we seek wisdom. And then we seek guidance. And then we seek God. And then we get our answer. We seem to put God last when we should put him first. So God uses our weakness to bring about change. It seems that when we're... All out of options, God has already made a way for us. See, God has already worked out what you're worried about. You're worried about a situation, and God already has the answer. But it's a lot easier to worry about it than to find the answer. See, the king is up at the top of the gate, and he says, Listen, where are we going to get the answer from? The wine press? The, the, the grain field, where's the answer going to come from? I don't have an answer for you. Then he says, okay, what's your problem? He really wasn't interested, but he was in a, he was in a place where he, because he's a king, he had to ask the question. And then when she tells him the, what's going on, what does he want to do? He wants to attack the church. He feels like the problem originated from the man of God. He says, what does he say? If, if the day doesn't end and I don't take the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat. So he, say, he, he doesn't take responsibility for the problems that are going on in his nation. He blames God. Isn't that kind of familiar with what's going on in our society today? It's God's fault. It's the church's fault. It's those radicals' fault. See, God uses weakness to bring about change. See, God is not looking for the strong or the intelligent, but those whose only option is him. Look, we're in this trouble because of the strong and the intelligent. You think what's going on in, 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 our, in our society today came out of universities. We wonder what happened to our children. We sent them to universities and they perverted their minds. 
told them that faith in God is futile, it's foolish, robbed our, chil our children of their faith, perverted them, sent them back to you, and you wonder, wh wh whose kid is this? God's not looking for the strong. He's not looking for the intelligent. He's only looking for those whose only option is God. And then God will bring about change. It's in those times that we have to see, well, I, I you know, um, I trust God. You know, we, we, we put our hands, we put our children in God's hands and we say, God will bring us through this. We're in a time of uncertainty, we can't trust in what man can do. We can't trust in what society can do. We can't trust in anything but know that God will bring us through this in his time and in his way. In times of uncertainty, God expects us to do the right thing. I have a, a, an, a, an acquaintance on Facebook who was mine and Pastor Rick's teacher in school, and he kind of boastfully says how he's going to vote. And I sit there and I say, you're standing on the side of wickedness. You're standing on the side of abortion. You're standing on the side of, of lawlessness, and you're going to stand there and advocate for it? What kind of preacher are you? We're not friends anymore. I unfollowed them. No, no it's, it's not that. It's that in times of uncertainty, God expects us to do the right thing. You know, yesterday we had a men's barbecue, and I had said to the men, listen, because of what's going on with the pandemic and things like this, we need to put on gloves, put on a face mask, and we need to serve the men. Now, why am I doing that? Because if somebody passes by and sees a crowd of men, okay, and maybe has a, a, a grind, a, a, something to grind, I don't know the, the word that you use, ax to grind. I was going to say bone to grind, it goes to show you. But it's got an ax to grind, right? Well, they're going to look for something wrong with the church. See, in, in Scripture, God says to us that if you suffer for doing right, you're doing good. Now, so I, I said it. I'm not into this thing. It doesn't matter to me what your opinion is of a mask. It doesn't matter to me what your opinion is of, of the thing, what, of the pandemic. What is important is, is how do we display Jesus Christ and the church to, a pup, to somebody driving by? See, the testimony of Christ needs to stand. So that's why in times of uncertainty, we need to do the right thing. And here it is, these lepers, they went in, they ate, they took some gold, they took some silver, they took some clothes, they came back, they took some gold, they took some silver, they took some clothes, and then all of a sudden they said, we're not doing the right thing. They became conscience stricken. Not the first time they went and robbed the tent, the second time they went and robbed the tent. See, because all of us in human nature say, get it while the getting is good, right? Let me take care of myself first before I take care of others. So we're no different than the lepers. But here is what God is saying. In times of uncertainty, do the right thing. Do the right thing. It's easy to think about ourselves when times are difficult or, or uncertain. We are instructed 
in Scripture to look out for the needs of others in uncertain times. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others also. I want to challenge you. Pastor Nancy gave a word, Sister Nancy gave a word a few weeks ago about blackouts and, um, you know, getting yourself, having food put aside for yourself, you know, um, begin to go out and, and get extra stuff for yourself. I want to challenge you. We're doing what the lepers have done. We're getting ready to hoard for ourselves in case something goes wrong. But what about if case something goes wrong, people that are not in this church that have not heard what God has asked this church to do? I want to challenge you. When you go out and you buy food for yourself, buy food for the, for the pantry so that we can take care of others also and be able to minister the gospel when times get even more rough. Amen? See, we need to be forward-thinking people. We need to take care of ourselves, yes, and our family, but we need to think of others first. So I want to challenge you. When you go out and you, and you buy your food for your pantry, buy, a, buy some more. As much as you've bought for yourself, buy for someone else and give it to the food pantry. And let's prepare ourselves to not only say, well, we'll take care of ourselves, but you know, we'll let the other people go by. That's not a good testimony because people are going to come by here. You know, it's, 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 um, it's amazing that when things get crazy, people do come and look for answers to the church. Or when things get hard, they do come to the church looking for them to supply their needs. And so how much more should full gospel be able to meet the needs of others and then some? So in times of uncertainty, God expects us to do the right thing. The testimony of the church needs to grow in times of uncertainty. Not, not decrease, but increase in times of uncertainty. Listen, we stand on the solid rock. We've built our foundation on the rock. No matter what happens, God has promised to take care of us. So in times of uncertainty, we need to know that, hey, God's got us. But in times of uncertainty, people in, out in the world do not know that God's got them. And he may not because they're not in covenant relationship with him. And so in those times, we need to be the hand extended to them so that others may come in. This is a great time for the sharing of the gospel and bringing other people in. See, when God moves, God expects his people to share the bounty. Look at these men, these four men. They're in the tents. They're doing this, and they're like, what are we doing? We're doing wrong. And they even said, if we continue doing what we're doing, the judgment of God is waiting for us. So they went and told, told the king. They went and told it. And here's the thing about that. See, for those, those in power lack the capacity to see what God is doing. See, when they were told the good news, right? Hey, the Arameans are gone. The tents are empty. There's food. There's clothes. There's everything. Come on out. What did the king say? It's a trap. They're, they're setting us up to take captive our people and then to take our city. See, those in leadership do not have the capacity to see what God is doing. They're too political. They worry about their decision, if it's the right decision, and how that decision 
will affect them in the polls. They're people pleasers. Well, our side may not like us if we agree with the other side. So let, let the people suffer. We can't stand for burning cities. I mean, we can't, we can't stand against burning cities because if we do, we may lose the support of some of our people. Let the cities burn. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Politics fiddles while an economy that was strong and good has been shot. Politics fiddles while an unemployment was low and now is high. Politics fiddles. Politics fiddles with a pandemic and keeps businesses closed and children out of school so that an economy can't grow. Politics fiddles. See, it's no different today as it was back then. A king could not make a decision could not see the hand of God because he was attacking the church of God. And when God moved to protect the church, he couldn't see it. And so his decision, had, he have, had, he have, as his, had his decision been final, the people would have starved and died. But because of men around him, counsel around him, what happens? They said, and wait a minute, listen, we've got... Four live horses left in the city. Only four. Let's, take, let's let them out. Let's let them see if what is said is true. Listen, if it's not true, nothing, nothing has changed. But if it is true, everything changes. And so we have to understand that we cannot trust leadership in times of uncertainty. We have to trust the word and we have to trust God to see us through in times of uncertainty. The church is essential during times of uncertainty. I want to say that again. The church is essential during times of uncertainty. They wanted to close this down. The church isn't, isn't essential. Church isn't relevant during, during a time of pandemic. The church isn't, isn't relevant during a time of, of um, how would you say, mass unemployment. The church isn't essential. But yet, where is instruction going to come from? Where is encouragement going to come from? Where are you going to find peace to say, yes, God's got me? Where, where are you going to find your spirit settled, your fears settled, but in the church? So the church is essential. During World War II, Winston Churchill was forced to make a painful choice. The British Secret Service had broken the Nazi code and informed Churchill that the Germans were going to bomb, to bomb Coventry. He had two alternatives, evacuate the citizens and save hundreds of lives at the expense of indicating to the Germans that the code was broken, or two, take no action, which would kill hundreds, but keep the information flowing and possibly save many more lives. Churchill had to choose, uh, Churchill had to choose and followed the second course. You see, sometimes we have to understand, we judge leadership and we have no idea what the decisions that leadership makes. That's why it's all the more important that we pray for leadership. We pray for those in authority over us 
because whatever our opinion is of those in authority over us does not matter. What matters is that we pray and we cover them in prayer because the decisions they make either saves lives or takes lives. And it's, on, it's upon us, the essential church, to be praying for leadership. That's right. When times are uncertain, more prayer is needed for those in leadership as well for those who have their ears. It's one thing to pray for, for a president or to pray for someone in authority, but we need to pray for those that are around them that give them counsel, that they give them wise, godly counsel. And that's what makes the church essential, is where to be praying and interceding for those in authority so that they know how to navigate and bring forward and save lives in times of uncertainty. Number four, naysayers will be excluded when God moves. The man on whose arm the king rested mocked the word of the Lord and said, even if God can, even if God can make windows in heaven, how is this going to be? That we're going to, that we're going to s sell um, flour for a shekel and barley for a shekel? They were just talking about the fact that for a little bit of dove's dung cost four shekels that day. Bird poop was selling on the market for four shekels. A little bit of bird poop. Now, we all know opportunists. Remember when the pandemic first hit? Remember how hard and how expensive it was just to get hand sanitizer? Price went up overnight. Face masks. If you can get one, prices tripled. Nothing is new under the sun. But here's the thing, and we see it too, naysayers, people that attacked the church of God, when God moves, they're excluded. Because they mocked God, they mocked his people, and they'll be excluded from the provision and the deliverance that God can do. See, those who speak slander <clears throat> slanderously against the church and its people will suffer in the end. You say, oh, we, we get all panicky because people say bad words against the church and bad words against Christians. Hey, listen, there comes a day when God, when God will, will um, even the score. There come a time, you have to understand, our responsibility is not to move in fear for the fear of man or fear of the opinions of man, but to trust God and let God let the cards fall where they may. The fact of the matter is, is we're called to love, as Charles said. We're called to provide for those in need. We're called to be the church. We're called to be the reflection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter the opinions of others. Don't be intimidated by those who minim minimize the power and majesty of God. Don't be intimidated by unbelievers. Don't be intimidated by talking heads. Don't be intimidated by politicians. Don't be intimidated by unbelievers who have, who have um, unfavorable words to say about you because you're a Christian. Stand your ground, serve the Lord, and love anyway. The wicked will not be partakers of God's mighty provision in hard times. They will not. In closing, I want to I wanna share with you that if we wait for favorable conditions, the glory of God will pass us by. 
I had gotten some text, uh, are we going to be having the men's meeting? Uh, we hear it's going to rain. And immediately the Holy Spirit spoke that to me. If you wait for favorable conditions, the glory of God will pass you by. We had our men's meeting yesterday. The sun was out. It was hot. We ate. We talked. We laughed. We came in here. We sung. We prayed. And we left on a high note. We left encouraged. We left feeling encouraged by the presence of God. See, if the church waits for favorable conditions, the church will die. God does his best work in unfavorable conditions. The Red Sea. The enemies coming down on the mountain. And, and what was in front of them was a sea, and they were caught in the middle. And Moses begins to cry out to God, and God says, why are you crying out to me? What's in your hand? A stick. Strike the sea. Psh. David against the giant. Remember, the whole army was cowering in fear over one giant. And a snotty little boy, bringing some cheese and nuts, walks into the camp and says, hey, what's going on? And then the giant come out, and he says, who's that guy talking against Israel, the army of God, talking against the glory of God? Well, we're looking for somebody to fight him. Well, I'll fight him. Well, you can't. You're too little. Again, if you wait for favorable condi conditions, the glory of God will pass us by. And so we need to understand that God ordained for us to be alive for such a time as this to, to display the glory of God, the power of God, the word of God, the miracles of God. We're ready for such a time as this that we need to expect God to do things that he has never done in history before, and to see souls saved, to see people healed, to see God do great things in a time such as this, so that the testimony of the church becomes brighter and brighter when the times become darker and darker. If we wait for favorable times, the glory of God will pass us by. There are three types of people in the world. Those who wait for things to happen, those who get up to see what will happen, and those who wonder what happened. Which one will you be? God does his best work when times are difficult. The testimony of the church, full gospel center, has yet to be displayed. I want to close with the scripture from Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the people's. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. All we have to do in times of uncertainty is go out, go in the strength that God has given us. No matter if we, we don't feel that strength, we may feel weak. Go out and watch God accomplish in you things that you never thought he can accomplish. Because in times of uncertainty, we know this, God is certain and we can stand on the promises of God. Amen. God bless you this morning.